You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. All right, good morning. Good morning. Man, what a treat to be able to be here with you this morning. And uh, Pastor Mike is over at Northgate, our sister church in Salem. And so he asked me if I'd help out with the Stranger Things series. And the first thing that came to mind was a talking donkey. So to me, nothing gets stranger than that. So I was excited about this one. I'll tell you about Stranger Things. You want to hear about Stranger Things? I have something. It's unprecedented. Never happened before in the history of Mountain View Church. This is a once in a lifetime. It's never happened to me before. Something unusual is going to happen today. Are you ready for the big news? About an hour from now, my daughter, Colette, who works at a church in Clarkston, Washington, is going to step onto the stage at her church and preach her first message at the same day as me. I'm shocked by this. Now, she's not a preacher. She likes children, works with as a children's pastor. Uh, she got wrangled into this. She doesn't do this kind of thing. As you can see, she was teaching. Every month they do a teaching uh, lesson to the kids just for a few minutes for, uh, during church. That's her, so she's going to get up. And if, had she been at the same time, I would have FaceTimed her, interrupted her message, and we could have talked together. That would have been, that would have been huge. All right, but that's strange because this is unusual. She doesn't do this kind of thing. You know what's even stranger? My daughter, Courtney, is in the building today. Sorry, that was a premature pause. That was a, that was a, that pause happened too soon. She's not the strange one. The fact that she's here is strange because she lives in Washington. All right. So she and Courtney, or she and Buell, her husband, are going to be here, are here this weekend. It's going to be great to be with them. And she came all the way down here just to hear me speak. No, 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 no. Oh, you know what's strange? She's going to be in the upcoming season five of Stranger Things. No. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, she's here. That's what matters. Incidentally, a few weeks ago, she entered, I don't know if this is for the first time, but she entered into an Amazon ghost store. Have you heard about these Amazon ghost stores? They don't have any employees. You just walk in, you scan the QR code on your Amazon app, you walk in, you go in, you just, you just walk around, get what you want, and leave, right? So she does that, scans the, the account, uh, account QR code app, she gets charged, I get a charge on my bill. <laughs> We're talking on the phone. She's telling me about her experience with the Amazon Go store. Oh, you walk in, you scan the app, you, you get what you want, you walk out. Have you ever been to this store? I'm like, no, I haven't. But my credit card has. <laughs> it wasn't much. It was like a buck fourteen. She's got something to drink. <clears throat> but yeah, she, these Amazon has opened up stores that have no employees. Isn't that a crazy thing? That's not new. Sears did this twenty years ago. Have <laughs> you ever shopped at a Sears? You know, it's like, hello, is anybody here? I'm trying to buy this plunger. Hello. 
Don't you remember when Sears was Amazon? You know, you got that catalog, you ordered what you wanted, boom, it was there eight weeks later. You know, right on time. But everything's becoming, you know, automated now. It's all computers. Kids are not reading books anymore as much, and they're playing video games more. In fact, just recently, uh, there's a new book coming out to help parents understand the game Minecraft. Yes. Yeah, and there's a new, <laughs> right? Aren't you excited about that? Yeah, well, more importantly, there's a new Minecraft update that teaches kids that there are books, <laughs> right? About a book. If you're new today, You're probably wondering, who is this guy? How did he get up there? <laughs> and I'm Courtney Bakken. Uh, my wife and I do the children here, and I just want to welcome you this morning. I hope you're ready to talk about Stranger Things. And for those of you online, thank you for, for being here today and tuning in. Uh, we're going to have a great time today and learn some things. All right, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22, if you want to turn there. And we also have the Bible app. We encourage you to jump into the Bible app and do events, and there's the sermon, very good. Um, and all the notes are in there, and you can save it and remember it and look back on it. And <clears throat> We just uh, want to encourage that usage of that app. We're going to talk about Balaam and the talking donkey. All right, so talk about stranger things, right? Now, Israel has just spent 40 years in the desert. They got out of Egypt. They've been wandering around for 40 years. Moses is still leading them, and they are getting ready to go into the promised land. All right? And so you can see on this map here, they're going to go, they're, they're going to enter the promised land from east of the Jordan River. And God says, don't bother Edom. Don't bother Moab. Don't bother Ammon. Don't bother these people. And the reason for this is because they have distant connections to Israel through Abraham. So he says, leave them alone. As soon as they get there and they're settled in, then the uh, Amorites attack the Israelites. They go to battle. Israel wins. Then Bashan attacks, and they fight Bashan, and they win that too. And so they've got these two victories. After these two victories, everybody knows about Israel. Everybody's afraid of Israel. It's like locusts on their way to a farm. You are in fear before they even get there. All right. Next, they settle in the plains of Moab. All right, so they're settled here in the plains of Moab. We're not talking about 100 people, 1,000 people. We're talking about a couple million people camped out in the plains of Moab. Now, up in the hills of Moab is King Balak and the Moabites, all right? And he is convinced that the Israelites are going to sneak up into the hills and attack his people. And he's terrified. His plan is to go after the Israelites first. Attack them first. And so we're going to pick up in verse 4 and read through 6, and it goes like this. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pithor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So Balak's master plan is to hire an internationally renowned 
prophet to come and basically curse the Israelites. All right, that's his job. He's just going to curse the Israelites, make it easy for the Edomites to attack. Now, we're told that his name is Balaam. And Balaam lives in a place called Pethor. Now, Pethor is 450 miles north of Moab. That's a long ways away, even in today's standards. Now, here's something that's fascinating about an archaeological discovery that was found in 1967 in Jordan. Okay? This inscription was found talking about the very Balaam in this story three to 400 years after his death. So this guy is internationally renowned. It said, Balaam, son of Beor, a seer of the gods. All right, so archaeology, love it, continues to confirm that the Bible is an accurate record of history. I love I love hearing that. I, I love this kind of stuff. This, it's really, it proves that the Bible is the best history book, isn't it? It's the best history book. And when you think about a prophet, you think of certain qualities, right? Like he's faithful. He's fasting. He's on his knees before the Lord. He's a worshiper. He's an intercessor. He goes before the Lord. He's always, that, that typical stuff, right? You, you think about all those all those kind of things when you think of a, a prophet. Well, if you were to meet Balaam, all right, you would probably find that he is not what you expected. This guy is way different. You ever met somebody only to discover that they're not anything that you imagined? You ever, you ever met people like that? You have this preconceived idea about somebody, and then you meet them, and they're not anything like you thought they were. Well, this happened to me back in college. And I was in uh, Oklahoma going to college, and our History of Christianity class decided to go to St. Gregory's Abbey. All right? This very abbey right here. We're going to a monastery. All right? And I'm excited. I want to go to this monastery. I want to meet some monks. Who doesn't want to meet some monks? So I want to go to, the, I want to, go to St. Gregory's Abbey, and we get, to the, we get to the monastery, and we're greeted by Brother Ignatius. And we take these pleasantries, and, you know, he's wearing the robe and the cloak and all. And he looks like a monk. And his name is Saint, uh, Brother Ignatius. And we go, how did you get your name? And he goes, I had to submit three names, and they picked this one. So I'm Brother Ignatius. Well, he's taking us on the tour, and we're walking around, and he's showing us all the different things about the monastery. And then we go downstairs, and he shows us the rec room. And I'm like, rec room? Why would you have a rec room at a monastery? He said, oh, yeah, this is where we watch the news and read the paper, and we play cards. Oh, and we, we have jobs in the community. And I'm like, this is nothing. Like I expected. This is completely out of the ordinary. I did not expect. I thought, I thought you were going to be, I made a vow of silence. I didn't think, I, I thought they're completely different. This is not what I expected from a monk. All right. And so he continues with the tour. And we, we have lunch. And, and as we're walking around and doing things, I'm noticing that he's starting to kind of be a little fidgety and a little on edge. And Brother Ignatius is not what he was before. He's just kind of under his cloak. He's kind of, you know, playing around. He seems to be a little on the edge. And I'm just like, this is kind of weird. And I brushed it off and didn't think much of it. But um, I noticed it. And so we went to lunch. And then afterwards, we went and they, we listened to him sing and chant and stuff like that. And then he was going to give us the outside tour. Well, he takes us outside. And as you can see in the picture, there is a narrow pathway along the right-hand side next to the graveyard. And all, this, all our class is lined up on that, and then he's in the front there, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm behind, so I make my way all the way to the front, past all my classmates, and I get up to the front and look up, and Brother Ignatius is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> uh, well, I'm flabbergasted. I, I'm looking at this, I'm a speechless I'm without speech. I'm looking at this guy going, I can't believe this is happening. 
they, they, I can't get this picture out of my mind the, the whole way home. I can, I can, I'll never forget. It was like me, a monk, and a Marlboro. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. That's all I can remember about Brother Ignatius. Me, a monk, and a Marlboro, right? <laughs> on the way out to the car, our, our history teacher, was, our teacher was like, what were his other two names? Like Larry and Mo? I'm not sure. But that, Brother Ignatius, young 20-something-year-old guy, you know, and it was completely the opposite of what I expected from a monk. So first of all, we look at Balaam, and if he's a real prophet of God, and he is a prophet for God's chosen people, then my first question is, why is he living in Pethor? 450 miles away from the action. He, I, I mean, why isn't he out with the Israelites? Why isn't he in the wilderness? Why is it that the first time that we're learning about Balaam, basically it's like he's being hired by a pagan king to be like this assassin? <laughs> I don't get it. So we see three facets, basically, that describe Balaam. All right, number one, he's a prophet. He calls himself a prophet. He's got a, a connection to the gods. All right, number two, he's a seer. So he has the ability, I guess, to see the future, to predict the future. And number three, right, he's a sorcerer. And so he has the ability to, to like, cast spells or, or throw blessings or throw curses, you know, kind of like something you'd find in Dungeons and Dragons, right, or uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that, all right? That, that, that's where this guy's coming from. So this is strange to us, but this is the way they thought in the ancient world. And Balak is basically hiring this pagan prophet for hire. Now, it seems like a good idea because, you know, at least in how his name is defined in Hebrew. Because if you look at how Balaam's name is defined in Hebrew. It's Bilam, which means he's a devourer or destroyer of a people. Which is what we'll, you'll basically discover as you read on in Numbers. All right, so this was a good idea to him. And Balak looks at him and he goes, yes, I like this guy. And I need him on my side. All right. So we go to chapter, uh, still in Numbers 22, but verse 7 goes like this. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak has said, spend the night here. Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you what the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. All right, so he's got some understanding of the God of Israel. He believes that he can interact with the God of Israel. All right, verse 9 goes like this. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Israel is blessed. This is a reference to something that happened a long, long time ago. Okay, why are they blessed? Why would the children of Israel be blessed? Because we know they're not perfect. We know they don't deserve God's blessing. They're rebellious. They're making golden calves. They're idol worshiping. They, they want to go back to Egypt. Every time you turn around, something's wrong. They're, they're always doing something. In fact, a whole generation died in the wilderness. Everybody who came out of Egypt, not even there anymore. The only people here are those who were born in the wilderness. Why are they blessed? They're blessed because of one word covenant it's an agreement with God God's covenant was not based on their behavior good thing it was based on a relationship that he had with them 
that was a promise and he was going to stick around to the end. Listen to what God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He even talks about Jesus because the only way that we're going to be blessed through him is through Jesus Christ, right? So this is why God wants Israel to leave these other nations alone. He says, I care about them. All right, so leave him alone. Now, if Balak would have just come to Abraham and said, hey, you know what? Would you please not attack us? Abraham would have said, okay. We weren't planning on it. And Balak would have saved a major headache. And this entire story wouldn't even exist. But he jumped to conclusions. As probably most of us would, he jumped to conclusions, but he wasn't, also wasn't interested in finding out anything. He just jumped to conclusions, and I think that's a lesson that we can learn here. And the lesson is, be careful not to let your mind jump to the worst possible conclusion. And I think we do that a lot. I think that's a real common thing. This is known as catastrophic thinking, all right, or catastrophizing. We basically think the worst. Have you done that before? Have you been there before? I have. Oh, this isn't going to work out. Oh, this, this person's not going to like me. Oh, I'm not going to get the promotion, you know. It's never going to work out for me. We do these kind of things. We get bummed out about something, and we just, we just start catastrophizing. And that's what Balak did, and it got him into trouble. It, 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 was the, it, was the, it was the worst of his problems, but that's what drove him mad, all right? And so God says to Balaam, do not curse my people. Don't even do it. Don't, don't, they are blessed. Now, verse 14 goes on to say, so the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Now, this is unacceptable to Balak. He hears this news, and he's like, this is not going to work. All right? So we're going to go back again. I'm sending more people back. This time, I want you to tell him that he's got, a, I've got a blank check for him. All right? Maybe that will make a difference. They go back to Balaam a second time. Verse 15. Then Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and they said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Verse 18, but Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. That sounds good, but listen, verse 19. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. What else? What else do you mean, what else? There is no more what else. What else is over? It's done. The answer is no, don't go, all right? There's nothing. Balaam knows this. And you know, when you know God's direction, when you've heard God's direction in your life, and you know it, but you start asking things like, what else in your own life? It's because what you heard from God is not what you wanted to hear. And we do this often too. Too often we don't like God's answer, and so we wait around to hear a better answer. We want the same thing Balaam wants, oftentimes, what else? All right, we're all guilty of that. We, we're quick to judge Balaam here, but how does this make us any different than him? You know, so I got to be careful not to judge Balaam. I've done this before. Um, God, there's, there's a really big check on the table here. I want to be sure I get this. So what else do you have to say? 
He keeps trying to change God's answer. He knows God's answer. He's, keep, he's trying to change it. One thing is wrong with Balaam. We know that from this. He's greedy. Okay? He's greedy. And so we continue in verse 20, and it goes like this. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, that's what God tells them. Go with them, but do only what I tell you. Verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Verse 22, but God was very angry. What? When he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him, Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Are you confused right now? I'm kind of confused about this. This made no sense to me as I read this. It feels like God is a little schizophrenic here, doesn't it? Go, don't go, go. I'm angry that you went, you know. It's like, make up your mind, God, what are you talking about here? But what I discovered was that the answer is found in the language. And we've got to dig a little deeper into the language. And so in verse 12 and verse 20, we have the two words, with them. With them. And in English, we have with them and with them, but in Hebrew, it's actually two different words. And this will help us. The first time God said, do not go with them, the word was, for with them was imahem. Okay? So if we look at verse 12, the word with him, he uses the word imahem, which means physically and mentally. All right? Meaning, if you go physically, then you will also go mentally as well, and fulfill the desires of Balak. So therefore, I don't want you to go physically, because if you go physically, you're obviously going to go mentally as well. And fulfill the desires. All right, now in verse 20, it says, go with them. But this time he uses the word itam. Now the word itam means physically but not mentally. All right, in other words, it's like God is saying, well, it looks like you're going to go already, so you might as well go. All right, and, but don't go to fulfill the desires of Balak. All right, you can go physically, but don't go mentally. But in verse 22, God was very angry when he went. So why is God angry when he said to go? Well, we have to look at the word in verse 22 that gets translated into our English word went. All right, the Hebrew word means to live or to go, uh, or more specifically, to walk. In other words, the understanding in the ancient world at the time was that you are going to uh, how you walk is an indication of how you lived. Now, you can take that a thousand, thousands of years later to today, and we use the same verbiage. We're saying the same thing today. We're basically saying, if you talk the talk, then walk the walk. All right? In other words, if you're going to say something, back it up. Live like that. Don't tell me you're going to do one thing and then do another. Because that is a poor reputation. And that, that is poor character on your part. All right? So the reason God is angry is because he knows exactly where Balaam is going mentally. He wants the money. He's greedy. He knows exactly what he wants. That's why I told you not to go in the first place. I knew that if you went physically, you were going to go mentally. So I, I didn't want you to go. But this is the choice that Balaam's making. You see, you following me? And so he has this reputation. And basically, he's going to have to live with it. All right, so a lot of people live their lives, unfortunately, without any care for their reputation. You know people like that? They don't care about their reputation. 
Whereas Christians, we need to care about our reputation. Even the little things. Some people say, oh, I don't care if I'm going to be late. But see, you're known for, the, for your habits. If you're late all the time, then people are going to go, well, that person's late. That's how I know that person. So we need, to be, we need to be concerned about even the little things. And so I find another lesson here. And the lesson is that God allows us to make negative choices. All right? That's free will. We have that choice. But it will cost us our reputation. You want to make a negative choice? Go ahead. It's going to cost you. It's going to make a difference in you. And this is Balaam's problem. He made his bed. Now he's got to sleep in it. Didn't make good choices. Had to live with the consequences. He left a bad legacy. He made bad choices that led to his death. But he also left a bad legacy. All right. And, and the reason is, is because everywhere else that you read about Balaam in the Bible, it's a warning. Don't be like him. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want my legacy to be like that. I don't want my, what, what if I had Kurt? Don't be like him on my tombstone. How would you like that on your epitaph? Kurt, the loser. Don't go there. Don't even be like him. I, I looked at my kids because they will be in charge of my epitaph. <laughs> All right, be careful, please. Help me out here. So everywhere you look, he's, it's a warning. Peter, the disciple, he writes a letter that gets into the Bible, Right? Actually referring to this very story. Warning the people of his day about false prophets. Right? And he refers to the reputation of Balaam. In 2 Peter 2, 14 and 15, it says this. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam. Son of Beor who loved the wages of wickedness. What a sad, sad legacy. This is why God needs us to protect our reputation. All right, your reputation matters. Your character matters. That's why the Bible calls us the salt of the earth. You and I are, are the salt of the earth. And we all know, too much salt's not good. No salt's not good either. Everybody has to have it just right, okay? Or maybe you have a salt alternative. I don't know what that is. But whatever it is, it's got to be a little seasoned, right? <laughs> uh, you want to spend your life building your reputation, all right? Building your reputation so that God can use you to make a difference. So important. You and I, God wants to use us, make a difference in us, work through us. And he can't do that if we don't care about our reputation. That matters. Matthew 5.13 says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? See, there's, there's something very interesting about saltiness. Okay. We all know that saltiness is influence. But it's also very fragile. You can work a lifetime to build your reputation and make one bad mistake and it's gone. All right? Be careful. Always be on your guard. The devil, he doesn't want you to have a good reputation. And so he's going to continue to pick it at you until he damages that reputation and causes you to have no influence, all right? So your saltiness is very fragile and it's gotta be protected and God wants us to protect our influence. Does that make sense? Now here's how God intervenes. In verse 23, it goes, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, now this is where it starts to get good. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a, with a drawn sword in his hand. It turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path 
through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. Verse 27, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with a staff. So the angel of the Lord got in the way three times. There was no getting around the angel of the Lord. Okay? You can't get away from the angel of the Lord. You can't. You can't. You can't. Have you ever noticed that? You can't get away from God. Everywhere you turn, you're going to find God. You do something bad, you're going to see God. All right? You're going to, you, you think about him but you can't get away from God. I remember back several years ago when I was in college, I'd come home for the summertime and get a job and I was living in Salem and I was driving to work one morning. I had to be there, uh, you know, I had to be there on time and I was, I was running a little late and I was in a hurry and I was crossing town and I came to a train track and a train stopped me. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. It's not one of these passenger trains that flies by in an instant. No, this had to be a freight train with a lot of cars. It was one of those freight trains that you turn the engine off kind of freight train. And so I'm so frustrated. I, I'm just losing it here. And I, I just, I can't, I can't do anything about it. So I'm stuck here waiting for this train and waiting and waiting. And finally, knowing what I'm going to uh, get when I get to work, I'm going to be late. Sure enough, it finally ends and I take off. Now I'm in a bigger hurry. I'm late. I'm in a bigger hurry. I almost get to work. And I'm stopped by the same train again. <laughs> Just starting out. All right? And I'm, I'm going to myself. I'm thinking to myself, what did I do to deserve this? You know, <laughs> what did I do? And, and so all I could do is sit and wait. And to this day, I don't know what the lesson was. What's the lesson? I wasn't living in sin. I didn't need the angel of the Lord. I didn't need to be slapped. Or maybe so. You know, I, I don't know what the lesson was. Don't be late. I don't know. Be patient. But the angel of the Lord used the donkey as a way to get Balaam's attention. Verse 28, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? That's a pretty good question from a donkey. Donkeys are supposed to be real stupid, aren't they? That's a great question. So you know it's not the donkey talking. But that's a reasonable question. I think it deserves an answer. Now, before I show you this next picture, I want to take a little pop quiz, all right? When I think about talking donkeys, animated talking donkeys, there's two that come to mind. Two most popular ones. Can you name them? We got, we got donkey from Shrek, right? What's the other one? Eeyore. How did you know that? You guys are so quick. I, I've been asking this question for a long time to different people, and nobody comes up with Eeyore. Boom, you guys are quick. Quick. So, donkey and Eeyore. Who do you relate to the most? That's, that's the takeaway from this sermon. No, not really. <laughs> Don't remember anything else. I relate to Eeyore. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. I'm miserable now. Uh, seriously, though. Now, for a lot of adults, I don't know why this is, but when animals start talking in the Bible, red flag goes up. All of a sudden, they're like, come on. Honestly, expect me to believe that? Talk, talking animals? I mean, I can understand that God made the world from nothing, created the universe out of nothing, but a talking donkey, come on now. I mean, 
some things are a little bit too far-fetched, if you ask me. And uh, yeah, yeah, you can't have these kind of strange things in the Bible. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give you any credibility. So I wonder about this. This is strange. Strange things can take place in the Bible. I mean, God, God can create the universe, but he can make a donkey talk too. And we have to remember in verse 28 what it says. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. That's why it asks such a great question. Why are you beating me? <laughs> now, that's a great question. But I think the lesson here is that God will use whatever it takes to get our attention. We've got to remember that. We, God, God's going to use whatever it takes. You can't get away from God. He's going to use what it takes to get your attention. So if you ever feel like, you know, man, I just, why are these bad things happening to me? Maybe it's just God trying to get your attention. But at this, at this point, apparently, to, a, a talking donkey was needed to speak wisdom and truth into the internationally renowned prophet. Because in verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. This is strange and bizarre. I told you it was. Now, I don't know about you. When I read this, the first thing that stuck out to me right here. Not anything else. This is the first thing that stuck, to, stuck out to me. Now, I don't know about you. I'm trying to figure out what's stranger. Maybe you can help me out here. A talking donkey or that Balaam doesn't question why he's talking to a talking donkey. <laughs> you know, what's stranger here? He didn't even, didn't even question it. Didn't miss a beat. Just starts talking back. That's no response. You need to be freaked out. The Bible needs to tell us, whoa. You just spoke. I think, I think God messed up here. In fact, I think Disney did a better job with the talking donkey. Check this out. Now that is a response. That's the response I expect from Balaam. But he didn't get it to me. So stupid, he just starts talking back. Come on. Verse 30 says, The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. You know, just a side note. If I were Joseph... You know, Jesus' dad, Joseph, Joseph and Mary, Joseph. If I were Joseph, I'd be a little jealous here. You know why? Because nowhere in Scripture is it recorded that Joseph said anything. All right? He didn't say a word anywhere. Why? God, for crying out loud, you're God's dad. Say something. You know, he's probably up in heaven going, ugh. Two lines? You gave the donkey two lines? I got nothing. That's just a side note. I'm sorry this is the way I think. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Look at that. The, the angel asked the same question. As the donkey, I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If I had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Now, Balaam is not getting his way. He's not getting his way. He's not getting his paycheck. He's not getting his answer from God. And now he just got confronted by the angel of the Lord. He's still mad at the donkey. He wants to kill the donkey. The donkey is not the problem. The donkey is not the source of his anger. A lot of times we take our anger out on something that is not the problem. He's got bigger issues. 
And that's how it is a lot of times. It's usually the little problems are not the problem. You ever gotten mad at the remote through the remote? It's not the remote's problem. It's not your problem with the remote. You're mad about something else. You just took it out on the remote. Balaam's not mad at the donkey. He's just taking it out on the donkey. This is usually a reflection of the bigger problem. He didn't come all this way to, to not get paid. And he's not getting his way. And Balaam's ticked off at the donkey because he made him look like a fool. If a donkey makes you look like a fool, okay, you probably got a little bit too much pride. <laughs> Maybe you have a little bit too much pride there. So now we know that he's greedy and he has pride. These two things. Now, I don't know about you, but you ever thought about what you might say if you were the donkey? You know, I made you look like a fool. What? You're the fool. How can you talk to me like that? You sashay yourself all around the countryside calling yourself a seer. You can't see anything. You're blind. You're stupid. The fact that you can't have the inability to even see the angel of the Lord shows that you have no spiritual discernment. You're spiritually blind. Okay? It shows how stupid you are. You're acting more like a donkey than I am. How about that? You know what I mean? I'm not your problem. You're the problem. I'm the least of your problems. Okay? You've got problems. Of course, you probably be more like that. But. Balaam, guess what? He ended up not cursing the Israelites. As much as he wanted to, never cursed them, blessed them. Because God had his way. And God worked that out so that he could use this internationally renowned, pagan, prideful, prophet to make a difference. God used a greedy prophet and a talky donkey. That's how he works. Which goes to show you that God can use anyone or anything to accomplish his will. And that's an important lesson to understand. He's going to use anything or anyone. He wants his will to be done. And you can read the following chapters to learn the sad ending of Balaam. Okay. But Revelation chapter 2 mentions that the Israelites or Balaam taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and they committed sexual immorality. He basically told Balak, you can't beat Israel through war. You never will. But you can allow them to beat themselves. And that's what he taught in the end. And so if you're here today, and, and you know, maybe you're here today and you know, you're walking the straight and narrow, you're, you're walking the path that God wants you to walk on. I want to encourage you. I want to praise God for you because the Bible says, don't stop being good. You ever get tempted that way? Man, I've been good. I've been good a lot. Things aren't always going my way, but I've been good. The Bible makes it specifically clear to not stop being good. And so I want to encourage you to stay on that faithful walk with God. It's going to pay off, I promise you. It will pay great dividends. Or maybe you're here today and, you know, you've put some important things in your life on the back burner. They're not as important anymore. And God's tried to get your attention. Because he knows, more than anybody, that he can improve your attitude. He can improve your perspective. He can improve your outlook. 
in your relationships, even your reputation. He can make it right again. But you've kind of kept them at bay. And you've just kind of put, pushed them off a little bit. God's saying to you today, I want you to take a step closer to me. I want to make a difference in your life. I stand before you and I offer you forgiveness. I can help heal you. You don't have to be angry at that person anymore. I don't know what you're battling today, but his ultimate will for you is that you put your trust in him and take that step closer to him. We're going to participate in a tradition this morning that goes back over 2,000 years. Hopefully you have a communion cup with you. If not, we'll, we'll come around with one. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was walking this earth and he, he, had, he had one more opportunity to really be close with the disciples and they arranged to meet together and have one more meal. And he did several things during that, that time together. But the most memorable thing he did was they broke bread and, and he gave them a cup to drink. And he said, he said when he passed the bread, he said, this, this bread represents my body. It's going to be broken on the cross. I'm not going to be around here much longer. And I want you to take this bread. And when you take this bread, I want you to remember what I've done for you on the cross. This bread represents my body. It's been broken for you. I want you to take and eat this. And after they ate the bread, he passed the cup. He said, this cup represents my blood. This means even more. Without this blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. There's no reason for me to be here if it's not for the blood. While you were designed to be born and live, I was designed to be born to die. And I want to remind you that my death is going to be the reason that your sins can be forgiven. So when you drink this, remember what I did for you.